So our text this morning is John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. I read that passage earlier, so I'm not going to read it again, but I encourage you to have your Bibles open to John chapter 20. Where we read that on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, and we all know what a tomb is. It's the place of the dead. It's where a dead body rests until decay turns it into dust. We place dead bodies into graves or tombs for several reasons. Believers and unbelievers alike can recognize that our loved ones who have died are no longer with us. They have left their bodies behind like a shell. As Christians, we know that their souls, their, their spirits, their minds, their hearts, those of, of those who have died are consciously alive in either heaven or hell. And having died, they've simply been separated from their bodies. So what do we do with their bodies? Well, we bury them. Burial brings together what seem like contradictory ideas, because on the one hand, it seems disrespectful that we would put somebody's body into a grave or tomb, and on the other hand, it is a way to show respect for the body. Let's look at those ideas for a moment. Burial might seem disrespectful, but it's actually very practical. The body left behind is going to decay, so we bury it or put it in some kind of tomb. And since the person is no longer there inhabiting that body, it shows no disrespect to the person to bury his body. But actually, we bury a body as a way of showing respect. Part of why we bury our loved ones is because we can't stand the thought of seeing them decay. Even though a dead body serves no purpose and is, in a sense, only an organized pile of dust, it is the body of a loved one. And so we honor it with a proper burial, and we mark the place of, of the burial typically, and, and often by expensive coffins and headstones. And in Jesus' day, the rich were buried in rock caves. The tombs were sealed with a large stone. The bodies were wrapped with expensive linen uh, strips of, uh, linen, uh, of linen cloth interspersed with valuable myrrh and aloes. And this is exactly how Jesus was buried. Historians tell us that in Jesus' day there was a lot of grave robbery. In fact, so common was this crime that Emperor Claudius ordered capital punishment for those convicted of destroying tombs, removing bodies, or even displacing the ceiling stones. So naturally, whenever a grave was found to be disturbed or empty, the only logical conclusion was that somebody living had disturbed the dead body. Someone was up to no good. Of course, no one would imagine for a second that the dead body had come back to life. That Jesus' body had been stolen was the natural conclusion reached by the women who first encountered the empty tomb that had housed Jesus' body. It was only natural for them to assume that it was the Jews who had done this as a means of despising Jesus even in death. But as we shall see, the biblical account makes clear that Jesus' body was not stolen. The tomb was empty because Jesus had risen from the dead. The tomb was empty because Jesus was victorious over death. Soon after his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven so that he might pour out his spirit upon us as well as to prepare a place in heaven for us, his people. Taken as the theme of these first 18 verses of John 20, the, I've chosen as the theme, uh, the theme the words, the empty tomb. Now, this morning we want to consider that theme under three points. First, the fact. Second, the reason. And third, the result. 
So we begin with the fact of the empty tomb. Burying a loved one is one of the most difficult things that we can ever do, and the reason for that is that it seems so final. We close the coffin and it's covered with dirt or the tomb is sealed with a stone because there is nothing else left to do. Death, the last enemy, has stolen the person away from, this, from his body. And when Jesus was crucified and his dead body was taken down from the cross, not even the disciples thought that Jesus would rise from the dead three days later. It took the disciples some time before they were fully convinced that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. The Word of God is painfully honest about this, as it tells us about those who first saw the empty tomb. Even Jesus' closest disciples did not expect his resurrection. In John's account of the resurrection of Christ, all of the events are recorded for us from the viewpoint of Mary Magdalene. And even Mary had to be led to the point of belief. Even though she had the very best of intentions, she was thinking all wrong. She was focused on the wrong things. She was concerned only for the dead body of the Lord. John 20 begins by telling us that Mary Magdalene went out to the tomb early on that first Easter morning. And though there were other women that accompanied Mary to the tomb, John doesn't mention them. The other Gospels tell us that these women, including Mary Magdalene, went to the tomb with spices to anoint Jesus' body. And on the way, they said to themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But no sooner had they arrived at the, at the tomb and they saw that the stone had already been removed. And not only that, but the tomb was empty. John's account focuses on Mary because it was Mary who then reported to to him, that is to John and Peter, what they found. And Mary, upon seeing the open tomb and nobody inside, immediately went into a state of emotional frenzy and hysteria, and leaving the other women at the tomb, she ran off to get help. And finding Peter and John, she related to them what must have happened. Notice the, the second uh, part of verse 2. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. To her, this was the only logical conclusion. And hearing Mary's report, the curious disciples left for the tomb. And Mary apparently followed them from a distance herself going back to the tomb. For these disciples, as their curiosity and excitement grew, Peter and John got into a running race on the way back to the tomb. And John got there first, but he only looks in. Peter, close behind, bolts right in. And what a marvelous sight they saw. Jesus was gone. The only thing left there in the tomb were the linen cloths and that face cloth which had been wrapped around Jesus' body and head. Mary arrives at the tomb for the second time. John and Peter have apparently left, probably headed for home to report their findings to the others. Verse 11 tells us that Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Greek word there used um, of her weeping means loud, unrestrained weeping. So we can picture Mary there sobbing. She is consumed with grief. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And we notice that she doesn't seem particularly shocked. 
The other other Gospels indicate that the women were afraid when they saw the angels. But for Mary, her dominating concern is that Jesus is gone. Where is he? The angel said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she says to them by way of explanation, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. At that moment, she turns around and she sees a man standing there, but doesn't know that it is Jesus. He asks her the same question as the angels had asked. Woman, why are you weeping? And then he adds another question, whom are you seeking? She thinks that he is the gardener and says to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. So it's clear from the testimony of Mary Magdalene, the other women, as well as the testimony of Peter and John, the tomb was empty. Jesus' body was nowhere to be found. That fact is clear enough, which brings us to the question, why? What is the reason for the empty tomb? It's evident that the general consensus of the Lord's followers who first came to know of the empty tomb was that Jesus' body had been stolen. Mary first reported, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. By they, Mary probably means the Jews, those who had orchestrated Jesus' crucifixion. To her thinking and to the thinking of many of the other disciples, the Jews just couldn't leave Jesus alone. To kill him wasn't enough. They had to also desecrate his body. Mary is at the tomb the second time. It appears that she has calmed down. She's no longer thinking an enemy has stolen his body. Now her thought is that some friendly person perhaps has removed the body, perhaps to a spot um, thought to be safer. Maybe her her thoughts went even to Joseph of Arimathea, who had donated the grave for Jesus' body. Perhaps he had asked that the gardener would, would move his body. That was something that logically might have been done in anticipation of a Jewish plot to do something to Jesus' body. But this is not the reason for why the tomb was empty. The Bible is clear. The reason for why the tomb was empty is because Jesus was risen from the dead. There's, first of all, the testimony of the angels, the testimony to the women who first came to the tomb. After Mary saw the empty tomb and left in a fit of of hysteria, uh, two angels appeared in shining garments to the other women. We read of this in Luke 24, verses 5 through 7, where it says, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. So the testimony of the angels was clear. Jesus was risen from the dead. There's also the testimony of the risen Christ himself. Mark tells us that the women fled from the tomb and in a state of fear and shock, they said, they said nothing to anyone. But then something changed this, for they later reported to the other disciples what had happened. What probably gave them the courage to report to the other disciples was their encounter with the risen Lord that Matthew records for us. Matthew 28, verses 9 and 10 tells us that Jesus himself appeared to them as they were on their way from the tomb. He said to them, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So the women knew. They knew exactly why the tomb was empty. 
Jesus was risen. And then there was the testimony of the grave clothes as witnessed by John and Peter. Remember how they raced to the tomb and John got there first, but he only looked in, but Peter ran right in. And John 20 verse 5 tells us what caught the eye of both men. It was these it was, it was the, those linen cloths lying there as well as that face, face cloth that had been on Jesus' head. There are differences of opinion among commentators regarding the significance of those wrappings that had been around the Lord's body. Significance seems to center around how you understand the wording that the linen cloths were, quote, lying there. Some tell us that those linen wrappings were left undisturbed. Because Jesus in his resurrection had slipped out of his wrappings and had left them exactly as they had been. Only now they are laying flat. Also, he had folded up the head wrapping and had put that off to the side. Others try to tell us that the wrapping still bore the same silhouette in which they had been around Jesus' body, but Jesus was not in them. But the text doesn't explicitly say that, and I believe it's reading too much into the text. It says the wrappings were lying there. At the very least, we have to say that there was something about the wrappings that caught the disciples' eyes and led John to believe that Jesus was risen. Verse 8 tells us that though John entered the tomb after Peter, John saw and believed. What was it about those linen cloths that prompted belief in Jesus' resurrection? One thing, if someone had stolen the body... They would not have taken the time to unwrap Jesus' body. They would have been in too much of a hurry to do that. Plus, we can't think of a reason why they would have wanted to unwrap him. In fact, we are told that linen was something very expensive. No one who was stealing Jesus' body would have purposely left the linen behind. That would have been part of their booty. Still to go uh, back to the first theory for a moment of Jesus supernaturally slipping out of those wrappings, There are some very careful, trustworthy commentators who insist that the evidence is that Jesus supernaturally left his wrappings behind. They disagree with the idea that the linen remained suspended in the same shape as Jesus' body, but they do believe that he left those wrappings and the linen collapsed gently down, leaving the general form of his body. The reason they come to this conclusion is, first of all, because of the wording lying there. Twice the text refers to those cloths lying there. It's a unique expression that seems to be in contrast to either being folded or strewn about. The head covering, we are told, was folded, by, which, by the way, no grave robber would have taken the time to do. But the linen cloths, in contrast, were lying there. Furthermore, if Jesus had unwrapped himself, or if grave robbers had unwrapped him or cut off his grave clothes, the wrappings would have been strewn about or put in a pile. Lying there seems to indicate something different than either of these. And second, we know that after the resurrection, Jesus' body was able to enter a locked room. Jesus would appear and disappear to his disciples. His body had spiritual qualities to it. And this is consistent with the idea of Jesus being able to disappear out of those wrappings and out of the tomb as well. Most theologians agree that Jesus didn't leave the tomb through the opened stone entrance, but the stone was rolled away to reveal that Jesus had already left. And third, we can't think of any reason why a grave robber would have wanted to unwrap Jesus, but it does make sense that the risen Christ would want to be unwrapped. 
and there is, a, there is reason to doubt that Jesus, as a man, would have been able to unwrap himself. There would have at least been a great struggle. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, he needed help to get out of the wrappings. The layers of linen, tightly wound with spices, would have been like a straitjacket. Scripture des- describes Lazarus as being bound, and Jesus told those there to unbind him. Now, of course, Jesus was no mere man. As the Son of God, he could easily get out of those wrappings, and if he did resort to supernatural power to do so, it would have been nothing for Jesus in his new spiritual body to have slipped out of those wrappings in an instant. So while we don't know for sure exactly what Peter and John saw, the wrappings were a testimony that Jesus was not there, and they did not point to a grave robbery. They pointed to Jesus having risen from the dead. There's also the testimony of Mary Magdalene, who saw and spoke and probably touched the risen Jesus Christ. The second time by the grave, Mary is weeping. Was she really seeking the Lord, hoping to see him again? Not really. She was grieving over his death. She was grieving over the fact that she could not do that last service to his body of anointing him with spices. So Mary isn't looking for a living Jesus. She's looking for a dead body. Her mind is so concentrated in her grief over the body of Jesus that she doesn't even see anything else. It must be her grief. It must be her disturbed state of mind that explains her seeing two angels in the tomb and not even reacting. They ask her why she is weeping, and she answers them as though it was an everyday thing to see angels and to hear them speak and to speak back to them in return. In reply to their question, she matter-of-factly says, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When the gardener, as she supposed, also asked her why she wept and whom she was seeking, she answered as though the gardener knew all about it. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. So Mary is obviously not thinking straight. Imagine her carrying the body of Jesus away. We know that the gardener is Jesus, but Mary doesn't realize who he is. And there are a number of proposed reasons for why this is. Perhaps her eyes were so filled with tears she couldn't even see clearly. Or perhaps simply because this man, being Jesus, uh, was the very last thing that she even expected, that her mind wouldn't even accept that possibility. We know from the other appearances that Jesus will make later to his disciples that his resurrected body must have looked somewhat different. Um, how do you explain that? Perhaps because it's was free from the curse of sin. Um, it was the, the disciples eventually would say, yeah, this is Jesus. We know it's him. And yet there was a difference, difference enough that perhaps that accounts for why Mary didn't at first recognize him. But when Mary hears Jesus call her name, she immediately knows it is him. She turns to him and affectionately calls him Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus spoke to her. He told her to go to the disciples and tell them, that he is ascending to God. And she obeys, and she goes to the disciples and tells them, I have seen the Lord. There's no doubt that the tomb was empty because Jesus has risen. So far, we've considered the fact of the empty tomb, the reason for the empty tomb, which leaves us to consider the result of Jesus' resurrection. What was the conceived purpose of the resurrection according to John's account? To answer this question, consider two things from what we are told in our text. The first result of Jesus' resurrection is taught indirectly by implication. I'm referring to the question 
that both the angels and Jesus asked Mary, why are you weeping? This question is not being asked because the angels and Jesus don't know the answer. It's a question meant to get Mary to think. She was obviously weeping because Jesus was dead, and even worse, because his body was missing. But in asking this question, the point is that Mary has no reason to weep. It makes no sense to weep. This is no time for weeping because Jesus is alive. Jesus' resurrection is, in fact, the cure to all, re- to all weeping. Um, Jesus' resurrection means that Jesus has accomplished your salvation, that Jesus rose from the dead is proof of your justification. It is proof that Jesus has paid the penalty of your sin. The Bible is clear that he died under the curse of sin. He died under the wrath of God because your sin had been put to his account. And if he had remained dead, it could only have been because something went wrong as he was trying to earn salvation for us. To remain dead would have meant that he had not been able to pay the full price of your redemption. It would have meant that he was not able to endure the infinite wrath of God, but had perished under it. It might have meant that he had succumbed to sin at some point, was not able to offer to God a sinless sacrifice, but he did rise. Which meant that he bore and endured the infinite wrath of God that our sins deserve. There is no other explanation but that he also perfectly kept the law of God and was able to offer a perfect sacrifice acceptable to God. It was the Lamb of God without blemish. And when Jesus rose from the dead, this was God's stamp of approval upon what Jesus had done on our behalf. He rose because salvation had been purchased completely. And you see how in the light of the resurrection, there can only be joy. The testimony of Scripture is that the resurrection of Christ has tremendous, wonderful consequences. These consequences are for you and me and for all who put their trust in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. When you look to Jesus Christ in faith as your Lord and Savior, trusting in his atoning death on the cross, you are forgiven of your sins. And you are received as adopted sons of God with all of the rights and privileges that belong to that sonship. In some, you have the hope of eternal life in heaven. And a necessary part of trusting in Christ is believing in his resurrection. Romans 10 verse 9 puts it this way. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Apostles' Creed is a summary of the articles of the Christian faith and included in our faith is the belief in both Christ's resurrection and ours, where it says the third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven. And then later, I believe the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. So Christ's resurrection and our salvation are tied together as a matter of faith, because by believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are acknowledging by faith that God accepted him as the sin sacrifice. You are confessing that Jesus paid the penalty of sin and that there is salvation in him. While to deny the resurrection would be to deny Jesus being the savior of sinners. It's impossible to believe that Jesus is still dead and to be saved by him. If you have faith in the risen Christ, you must know that you are right with God, that you are forever loved by him, that you are 
son of God and heir of heaven. Notice the blessings in Christ are the cure to all weeping. In our risen Savior, we have every reason to rejoice. And that is the first result that John brings to our attention. Why are you weeping? The second is related and comes from the Lord's words to Mary in verse 17, where he says, Jesus, where it says there, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. It's interesting how in some cases the risen Jesus invited people to touch him. Think of the incident that's, that's later recorded with Thomas. Jesus appeared and spoke to the women coming from the tomb. We are told that they took hold of his feet, and we read nothing of Jesus rebuking them for this. But now in Mary's case, she is told not to cling to him. Really could be translated, do not touch me. What's the difference? Well, the difference seems to lie with Mary. She's wanting to grab onto Jesus in a spirit of desperation. She doesn't want to ever be parted from him again, and she's thinking that now with his return, she can go back to being with Jesus and taking care of his physical needs as she, has always, as she had just been doing in the recent past. And so Jesus says to her, Do not touch me, because things have changed. He's not back from the dead in order to continue his earthly life. He must ascend, go back to the Father. Notice how the Gospel of John, you remember how it starts out. It starts out in the throne room of heaven. Jesus, as the Son of God, is there with the Father. And he is God. And God sends Jesus the Son into this world in order that the world might be saved through him. And now at the end of John's Gospel, Jesus, having accomplished all that is needed for our salvation, it's time for Jesus to go back to the Father. He goes back with a purpose that involves us as his redeemed people. Notice the wording Jesus uses. He tells Mary to go to his brothers. So Jesus has brothers. This is wording that highlights that Jesus has earned for us the right to be sons of God. And he goes on to say that he is ascending to his father and his God, but this father is also your father, yours and mine by faith. And Jesus, God is also your God. If you know Jesus as your savior, this is proof that Jesus has brought his people into the precious fellowship of God's family. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, it was so that he might pour out his blessings on the church in and through his spirit. He also tells us in John 14 that he has gone to prepare a place for us so that we may be where he is. Our risen Lord ascended into heaven. He's now busy on behalf of his church, sovereignly guiding us, preserving us. One day he will again... Uh, return and he will bring you and me and all believers in both body and soul to be with him the empty proof uh, the the empty tomb is proof that the lord jesus rose from the dead his resurrection is proof that he is able to save to the uttermost all who trust in him amen let us pray Father in heaven, we thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for our risen Savior and what this means for us, that we can through him be your children, that you can be our God. We thank you for the covenant fulfillment of that promise that 
you will be our God and we will be your people. We thank you that Jesus has accomplished that for us. There was death on the cross. We thank you, Father, that in being raised from the dead, we have proof that he is God. We have proof that his saving work was accepted. Father, we thank you that we can put our trust in him and know that we are saved to the uttermost, that there's nothing that we, that we need to add, that in him we have eternal life, that in him our own bodies will be one day resurrected from the grave. Father, we thank you that we will be with you in body and soul because of what Jesus has done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.